are elite. For everything you need to know about Mercedes Monet's AEW debut, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. He can't say that. I can. He's rolling in his grave. Basically, <laughs> you basically can. If you could only watch three wrestling matches, what would they be and why? This is what I'm asking some of wrestling's best. In the ring, outside the ring, behind the scenes, or behind a microphone. I'm Tom Campbell. Thank you for joining me once again on Cultaholic Island for another episode of Desert Island Graps. Welcome us into your embrace. When we close our eyes, all you see is that that gorgeous gorgeous face. Proud and strong out of the SWP. All we see... Is you, our beautiful wankfessers. And if there's one thing, I know who I am. I'm Ross Tweddle. And I'm proudly wank pheasant. For the first time ever on Cultaholic Island, we are joined by a citizen of Cultaholic Island. Doesn't happen very often. Normally I'm hanging around by the airport. I'm doing my best hula dance, Tom, (laughs) because we're getting all tropical. There is a wonderful hula dance going on. It's actual Ross Twiddell. Oh, we're shaking hands. This is very official. Formal welcome (laughs) to Cultaholic Desert Island Graps. It's a very nice island, very picturesque. Thank you very much. We've put this foam in specially. Before we do anything else, um, do you get annoyed when people get the surname wrong? Because I've said it uh, before I met you, I heard about 300 different pronunciations of it. Well, it's all Adam Pachiti's fault because Adam Pachiti, in his accent, goes, "Oh, Twiddle. It's it's a it's it's a funny it's a funny second name, isn't it?" He, he started calling me Twiddle, and it happened so often on camera at the start of Cultaholic. I was just like, "Well, my name's Ross Twiddle now." But <laughs> if, officially, my f- it's it's an Irish name, okay. and it is actually pronounced Twiddle officially. But my mum, being from the north, was like, "We're not that posh. It's Twiddle." Oh, so, really? That, uh, yeah. Do you have any Irish heritage that you're aware of? I probably got loads. I need yeah. to do that DNA thing that uh, had deck related to Dixie Carter. Yeah. I need that thing in my life. I'm going to do it soon. Who'd have realised this time last year that Declan Donnelly would turn out to be one of the most powerful men in Northeast wrestling? <laughs> what a weird time we live in. I should put some money into somewhere. <laughs> do it, why not? Uh, we are here today because we are going to chat about uh, some of your favourite wrestling matches. That's how it works on uh, Desert Island Graps. We're going to send you to a metaphorical desert island, not this one, another one. And with you, you're allowed to take some of your favourite wrestling matches and we're going to get to those uh, very soon uh, you have been we've just celebrated two years here at Cultaholic uh, woohoo uh, congratulations <laughs> to I feel I still feel like saying congratulations to you why you've been here for like how long half a year ten minutes in the grand scheme half of a things. year has it been half a year already May 
Was it? Gosh, I that's when I... we were in Vegas. Oh, I may have started. Oh yeah, that's that's, a, that's an alarming thought. It's still, <laughs> it's still but it's, but like go. Let's. I want to go back to to that first day when you walked into. Well, I said the first day you walked into the office. The we first didn't have one. The first WTF was was in a was in a field somewhere in, 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 the, in the forest next to a school, which me and Sam didn't quite realise until we saw a rugby team trot out onto the field and we were sat there. Oh, I was in the forest screaming, and he was sat there with a camera, and then the old man who uh, had a go at me for saying the word bugger or bastard maybe he was like stop swearing you're hurting my kids he is he had two dogs with him so he would call his dogs kids which is quite adorable but also quite unnerving a little bit peculiar and he kept he kept saying as well "Well, i know what you're doing as me and sam were in the bushes with a camera next to a school field (laughs) it's it's quite an acid test for for yeah for confidence and stuff to do uh, any kind of filming outside i hate it i die of shame (laughs) when we uh, when i went to amsterdam sorry um vlogging I found very difficult. I just feel like a monumental knobhead doing stuff like really? out, out, outside the office, yeah. Because when we're here, to sort of let you behind the curtain, when, when Ross comes in to do WTF moments, like it's, 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 it resonates off the walls. It's loud, isn't it? It's beautiful. And, it, and it's great because it means that whenever we have visitors out there and you just suddenly hear like through muffled walls, whoa, 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 <laughs> it's amazing. You feel like you're part of a real thing. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a whole different thing to talk outside and vlog outside, but to do WTF moments outside for a company that... Didn't, that was barely existing at that point. Yeah. To go and do it, it was it was it was a quite the moment. Did you feel better when you finally came into a studio to do it? It felt like we'd actually started a company when we got the uh, the studio because it was a good it was a good few weeks before we actually got our hands and like on the keys of this place. We had to edit videos out of Sam's bedroom at the time and stuff like that. But yeah, it was it was a nice humble start. But yeah, there was a reason we shot those in the woods. It's because I'm very shy and re- like reserved in real life, so I don't deal well with doing stuff in public in front of other human beings. Are you really so? Yeah, dreadfully. I've got a terrible. My biggest fear of like part of this job has been doing stuff on stage like went to the convention last year with Wrestle Talk and then doing stuff at, uh, in Vegas at Starcast I really struggle with it it's weird to say that with this line of work it is I but think I, I didn't pick this line of work I just fell arse backwards into it <laughs> well, <laughs> I would like to get into how you got into the in, into something like this because it's a very peculiar job that we all find ourselves yeah. in. one that's very hard to explain to, to outsiders yeah. like I had a tough time before this telling a taxi driver that I was a radio presenter that I, felt weird my go-to line at oh, any Uber, they're like, oh, what do you do for a living, mate? I work in video production. Oh, nice. That's what I say. And he goes, oh, that sounds real fancy, that like. And then they don't say anything else because they don't know what they're talking about. And I'm like, yes, don't have to say I talk about wrestling on YouTube. Because you know what? It's like, I'm proud to be a wrestling fan, but hmm. in the white, in the grand scheme of things, you can't say it, can you, to many people without being ridiculed. It's, it's, it's and just it just op- gets awkward. It opens a lot of weird conversation yeah. doors, doesn't it? And sometimes you're just a bit tired and you haven't got the energy especially with a taxi driver that's the only place I use it that's the only place I have to use it yeah, just but, in the bag of a taxi but then the problem is then that you run the risk of if you get the same taxi driver you've got to remember your backstory <laughs> that's why I've got the go-to line I work in video production <laughs> where I used to work we used to have it used to be in um, it used to be in a big tower there was a call centre in there as well mm. so and I got picked up from there a few times sometimes I, I didn't have I couldn't have the energy to say oh I'm a radio presenter and I work for I work for Heart and all this and, uh, and I was just like oh I work in the call centre <laughs> And they said, oh, it's the, the, the TV call centre, isn't it? I said, yeah. I said, well, thing is, I've got a, I want a new deal on me box. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. And then the next time I saw him, he went, did you get me a deal yet? And I had to jump over and go, 
oh no, it's you, isn't it? Oh no. <laughs> so I, I, I get the struggle. Have you had that where someone's gone, hey, how's that video production? I How's had not that, but I had one where I lied to the taxi driver, but he knew Jen. And he was like, are you not on that YouTube channel with that woman? I was like, <laughs> yeah, I am. I've been found out. I've been riddled. <laughs> <laughs> that one. Rumbled, sorry, not riddled. What am I talking <laughs> riddled about? Riddled or rumbled. <laughs> um, we'll talk more about that as we go on, but uh, to get things underway. So if you're listening for the very first time or watching for the very first time, uh, I'm sending you, Ross, to a desert island. And before you go, I'm going to burn onto a DVD three wrestling matches that you will happily watch whilst you're on said desert island. You have to assume that this island has electricity, a DVD player, and a television as well. Let's <laughs> open our minds really wide on this one. Uh, your first wrestling match you'd like burned onto the DVD? Well, I'm going to go with the one where if I was going to try and introduce somebody to professional wrestling, I would show them this match because I think it encapsulates everything beautiful about professional wrestling. And it's Hogan versus Rock from WrestleMania 8. I don't think I need to say too much more, but for the purposes of this show and for the content, I will. (laughs) Yes, thank you, mate. I think a crowd makes or breaks a professional wrestling match, and that crowd made that match 10 times better or 100 times better than it actually... Because if you just take what happened in the ring... Very basic, because Hulk Hogan was seven hips deep (laughs) (laughs) by that point. Several knees as well, a new back, a new body. He's like that old uh, trigger thing from Only Fools and Horses. (laughs) It's the same broom, but it's had 12 new hair. He's the Um, trigger's broom of wrestling, (laughs) Hulk Hogan. Probably the same colour. Oh, gosh. But, um, yeah, the crowd... Because I don't think it's a match that could ever happen again in WWE, because it was two men who were trusted to uh, react off the crowd. Because the story goes that everyone in the company expected, obviously, Rock being Rock to get cheered and Hogan being NWO Hogan and having tried to kill the Rock in the in the build-up to that match to be booed. But Toronto's bizarro land where the, <laughs> the people who you normally cheer get booed and vice versa. So, yeah, they were allowed to react off the crowd. It... Pff, it just makes you smile when you watch it. I know it involves Hogan and whatever has happened in recent years. Happened. I don't particularly have got time for the guy anymore. But you watch that match still this day, and it just makes you smile. You, um, yeah, you. What we said, we said this in the office the other day, didn't we? About how like it's, it's. We all grew up on Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Like Hulk Hogan was the reason so many of us got into wrestling. But it seems so dirty to say that now. Compared, compared to what, what's happened around it. Yeah. Uh, it really does. Um, take me back to the night you watched that match. So it'd be two thousand and two. What was Ross doing in 2002? I was in year six, year five at the time when WrestleMania 18 happened. I wouldn't have seen this match until God knows when because I didn't have Sky or access to Sky until 2004. So I had a mate at home who I think you might know. I think he's called Joaquin Phoenix. I do know Joaquin Phoenix. He was my best, well, one of my best pals growing up. He used to live along the road with him. For real? Yeah, As he used to. actor plays to... the Joker, Joaquin Phoenix. No, not Joaquin the wrestler from the northeast. What have I just said there? You said Whacking Phoenix, the Did actor. I, no, not him. Who is he? What's he? What's his name? I've gone blank here. <laughs> Wrestles for MEW and stuff like Joaquin. Is it Joaquin? It's not Joaquin, is it? <laughs> Who I are forgot, you thinking I've of? forgotten his wrestling name. Okay, what's okay? Jonah. Jonah Phoenix. Jonah Phoenix. And Adam Burrows. <laughs> Is it Jonah Phoenix? Jonah, Jonah, Jonah Phoenix. Is it Jonah Phoenix? I know the wrestler Jonah Phoenix. Is it Jonah Phoenix? Yes. I've just gone completely blank there. I saw the Joker not too long ago. Is his first name Adam? Adam Goslin. Yes, that's Jonah Phoenix. Yes, Jonah <laughs> Phoenix, not Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, you know what? My, my, There's a big difference. My interviewer brain <laughs> just went, he knew Joaquin Phoenix. 
in my head, I've already clipped that bit off. I've put it online <laughs> with a picture of the Joker and a picture of you next to it. Uh, I do know Jonah Phoenix. Yes, though. he lived along the street from me when I was a kid uh, and we used to play football just about every day in the summer. And so my wrestling would largely come from him getting access to something, taping it, and then I would take the tape off him when he watched it and then watch it for a, a few days and give him it back. It was like blockbusters without the fee. <laughs> so I wouldn't have seen I don't think I would have seen wrestling. I might be talking bollocks here, but I don't think I would have seen WrestleMania exit until he had seen it. But I was in year five, yeah. How uh, did you have many friends when you were year five who were into wrestling? Just as well? him, just just him, just Adam. And I, we went to different schools, so I would go to school and just talk about football and football stickers and Pokemon cards and all that malarkey and then come home and ask him about the wrestling I remember always used, I asked him like because I, I was really stupid as a child and I'm still really stupid now but I never used to log on the internet and find stuff out because we had like the dial of broadband so you have to that was an effort in itself to, mm. to run down the stairs with the, 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 the spinny out thing and then plug it into the phone thing and then run back up the stairs and then turn the computer on and all that malarkey so I just go to him all the time what's happening in the wrestling world <laughs> and he would give me little raw, uh, recaps on Raw and stuff like that but yeah my it was uh, my wrestling fandom came through through him a lot, Joaquin Phoenix, <laughs> the, the, the man who played the joke at that time. Um, do, did did um, did Adam introduce you to wrestling? Then? No, I uh, I was aware of wrestling because I think I got toys first. But my first like uh, time I was conscious of it was my eighth birthday I got two VHS's one was the Superstar Series VHS about Goldberg and Sting okay. and it was sort of like it was in kayfabe but out of kayfabe as well it was about their life and their careers just a career retrospective basically and watching Goldberg on that especially I was a big fan of Sting as well with the, the Crow stuff that was going on at the time it was all about the main point of the Sting one I remember was being the, the Starcade 97 build up and all that malarkey and even though that match was an absolute farce with Bret Hart and everything uh, the build up was fantastic two years or whatever it was for but a at time. a time as a young wrestling fan we weren't so bothered with the build up being anything no. we just saw it and absorbed it there's a cool scary man and there's a man I don't like called Hulk Hogan well Hollywood Hogan at the time so yeah I got that and I got Super Brawl 2000 on VHS oh wow was that the first, is that like the, that was that the one where all the belts were vacated from WCW and they were finding new champions no because Sid walked in I remember Sid walked in as the world champion he was against Scott Hall and Jeff Jarrett in a triple threat uh, the cruiser I think there was a cruiserweight title tournament where the final was Lash LaRue versus Prince Iakea with Paisley <laughs> is it great? James that? Brown was there. The cat wheeled him out. Remember this because I remember were... thinking the cat was the dog's bollocks <laughs> because he was able. Because I knew who, even though I was a young lad, I knew who James Brown was not very well, but I knew who it was. And he wheeled him out and started dancing with him. And I was like, he must be the biggest guy in wrestling. The fun story with that is that that Ernest Miller was constantly teasing James Brown, and then the one show. He just turned up, yeah. and it was like you could have hyped this better. <laughs> it's just like, oh, you've paid all this money to tell nobody that James Brown is here. Yeah, that's incredible. But so your first instinct was your first in with wrestling was WCW Goldberg, especially from that Superstars mm. uh, series VHS thing. Just him flattening everybody. Like when you're eight years old, oh, gets you gets you going, doesn't it? it? Do you know what it does? And there's something that I think we do this job. We're very blessed to do it. But there's something that's sort of lost a little bit where that 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 innocence about watching wrestling where it's just I'm just going to watch the match whereas like we find ourselves like 
dissecting every minutia of the before. That the is the only. During. That is the only bad thing about this job is the fact that the wrestling we review, you can't sit back and enjoy it. Hmm. I'm sitting there doing WTF moments for all of WWE's main roster stuff, and I haven't enjoyed main roster WWE for four or five years now because I haven't been able to because you have to sit there and analyse everything especially the way I nip I choose to nitpick everything because I'm an arsehole but, <laughs> but that's the whole that's the whole shtick and we're going to roll into um, into WTF moments now anyway because five years now you've been doing it I did it that's yeah I did it as an article and then uh, it started on the What Culture Wrestling channel in February 2016 but I'd been doing it for a good year and a half as just an article before that, so it's been a long time. So when was the decision made for for, for you, as somebody who, you know, at that point you've, you've even said at this point that you weren't massively comfortable with doing public speaking and stuff like that? No. To, to change it from an article to a, a video production? It came from a lot of me and Jack moaning about watching Adam and Adam getting paid to drink and watch wrestling, and we <laughs> were thinking, why can't we do that? And obviously from, from my perspective, it was because I was very... I'm not a very outgoing, as you know, in the office. Yeah, I'm very quiet. By and large, I just sit there and just get on with stuff. And then just if I'm, if I'm spoken to, I reply, but I don't really start a conversation. I'm a very reserved guy. So I think that that was a massive drawback from the What Culture Boss's perspective is that I've just, I wouldn't have like what it takes to be like a compelling guy on camera. And that came out over time, I think, because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a loud arsehole now. But I start, if you watch the first video, it's horrible. It's like a, a, a young rabbit in headlights <laughs> when a, a big car is approaching them fast. <laughs> but it, yeah, it came from me and Jack moaning for a while and then eventually just got to the point where the bosses were like, well, we'll give you a go and we'll see how it goes. And they probably could have taken me off straight away because it was bad to begin with, but thank God they didn't because it spiraled into this and it's, it's good. But I think that's why they dressed me up as well. Mm. Just to, to sort of shield the fact I wasn't very outgoing before I got on camera. It kind of gave you um, a persona yeah. that you could step into. Which was unbearable looking back. Really? Oh, Do you, Are you not a fan looking back on no, that time? No, it was unbearable. It was horrible. But you find that a lot of people will have followed you over here because of that it definitely had its its following but personally just looking back on what i used to do and how i used to go about things it was it was bad and i'm you know they trademarked it and i think it was a, the best thing that ever happened to me in this in this line of work because i was able to just like be more myself and it was I'm a, I'm a nicer more watchable presenter now i think people might disagree with that that's your opinion good for you what do you think has changed since um being that persona and being a bit more who you are now because when you, you cause what, the one thing I was told when I was like, you're going to be a king, that you've got to call people loyal subjects. That was the one thing I was told. And I was like, I've got to feed into that king thing. I've never been obnoxious and unbearable. And I'm still quite obnoxious with WTF, but I'm also more measured and more considered because I feel like I have to be because I'm not hiding behind a, a regal, pompous gimmick, if you want. Uh, it has to be more because my name's Ross Tweddle in real life. It's Ross Tweddle on camera. Mm -hmm. You've got to be more responsible with what you say, I find. So the king thing was something that was given to you. Yeah. Was there, were there other considerations? Well, it's, it spiralled from because uh, back at What Culture, when we just did the articles on the site, I used to do Raw. I think Jack did SmackDown WTF moments as an article. And then they had a third writer who did uh, the pay-per-views. And in the comments of Jack's and the, th the other guys, they would always say, where's Ross? Why is he not writing this article? He's the king of WTF. And I used to wind, obviously, wind Jack up in the office going, oh, I'm the king. <laughs> and then that got to the office, and they're like, well, we'll dress you up as a king then. <laughs> <laughs> own, own the gimmick, I but suppose. But it, it could have been very different because the, one of the bosses wanted to uh, dress me up as something different every single week, a different wrestling character. And I've talked about this before on the mm. channel. It, I almost quit what, what, what culture then because uh, they opened 
a chat on our messaging service and it was I don't know what it was called it was like Ross dress up Ross like an arsehole or somewhere and <laughs> they, all the wrestling guys were in there and they were suggesting just things I could dress up as and obviously being a bigger lad to go to was like oh you should dress up as Triple H and little spandex and you know the dicks and this that and the other and big dick Johnson that would be funny wouldn't it and I was just like is this what my life's coming to I'm on my way out here so the boss bought me a, a, bra- a, a blue shirt and a truncheon and a pair of sunglasses to be the big boss man and I lied about the shirt not fitting just so I didn't have to do it wow <laughs> so I was like there's your shirt back I'm just going to try and do this king thing because he said it, people would be bored of it within two weeks I was like I'll, I'll show you I can do better than that and it, it turned out quite well I think it it, it had run its course by the end I think a lot of people were sick of it which you know they would have been but well my first my first uh my my first time seeing you was was in in the King uh, regalia, and I seem to remember being sat in a in a Costa, and watching. I must have watched about ten in a row because I was <laughs> I was genuinely drawn in. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, and and but then it's what's nice is as you said just then that it was taken out of your hands when you moved across here anyway. Yeah, so it's like well now I'm just going to be me, and I think maybe you having those years in front of camera meant that you probably built more of yourself so you'd be more comfortable being just yourself yeah, on definitely. camera there's something to be said for when you're quiet in real life but big on uh, b- big in production uh, I, I grew up with, um, with guys like, well, one of my radio heroes is Kenny Everett. Mm. Kenny Everett is, and I don't know how familiar you are with Kenny Everett. Yeah, I know Kenny Everett. Yeah, yeah. massive character. But everybody who I've spoken to who met him in the industry says he was just very quiet, just like kept himself to himself, didn't mm. really have much to do. So it's quite a popular thing with creatives. So you're basically Kenny Everett, man. <laughs> oh, he can't say that. No, I can. He's you, rolling in his grave. Basically, <laughs> you're basically Ken. Uh, let's move on to your second match for... Uh, for the DVD um, I'm going to go back to One Night Stand 2005 and I'm going to go for Mike Awesome versus Masato Tanaka this is I had Sky by this time so I had my mum record this and watching it back the next day I was like that's the that's the that's the fat trick the fat chick thriller easy for me to say <laughs> Um I didn't know he was this good because <laughs> by the time because my only weekly wrestling back when I was a kid was uh, I used to have swimming club on Friday nights at 7 o'clock so I couldn't watch it as it happened on the television but it was WCW Worldwide on Channel 5 so I used to record that hour and then come back and watch that and that was my weekly wrestling done up until I had Sky so I was getting into it when Mike Olsen was the fat chick thriller. <laughs> and I didn't understand, obviously, because when you're a kid, you don't understand what these things really are. And looking back, it was obviously a, a massive disservice to Mike Olsen. But I watched that match, and then I went back and thought, oh, I better look this guy up a bit more, because like, yeah, the internet was a, a thing you didn't have to plug in the wall anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you go back and watch him, and he was um, he's, he's one of my favourite wrestlers, Mike Awesome. And that's not taking any away from uh, Masato Tanaka, because he played his part wonderfully in this match. And I understand that they had... A million matches together where they beat each other up. I was going to ask you whether you'd seen any of the other awesome Tanaka matches. This is the only one I've seen. But uh, I know they oh. did a couple of big ones, in EC, like the original ECW. Um, but I w- I'll have to watch them one day. I just yeah, I don't have the time to you these days. That's it. We're too, we're too busy watching wrestling to make time <laughs> yeah. to watch wrestling. The, uh, the Yeah, some of the earlier matches they had were were synonymous with chair shots. And, and this they, one was as well. Yeah. It's right on Mr. Tanaka's oh, head. They have an and what a head he had, by the way. <laughs> Take Abdullah the Butcher and add a bit more. <laughs> is, there, is there stuff that we watch from 
shows like this that at the time were like, Way! but we look back and go, oh, actually, Whoa, it is hard to watch no. when, especially when he's, it's, it's that spot in the match where Awesome is just relentlessly on his head and tonight is hulking up if you want. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's not doing him any favours in the long run. Makes you feel a little bit sick. It, it does. When you watch him just battering them. Uh, so you went back and watched, um, presumably you watched the, the, a lot of other ECW stuff as well so then you could get like the full idea of the, the significance of one night stand. yeah absolutely yeah this was my first exposure to like no it wasn't I had a VHS about ECW that my mum took off us when she, <laughs> when she realised what it was I don't oh, know really? what it, I don't know what it was but it, I was you know I must have been about 9 or 10 and the local co-op had it on the, on the shelf so I got the ECW game the PS1 I forget what it was called Anarchy Rules Anarchy, Anarchy, Anarchy Rules I had and uh, I got the VHS as well but she saw it must have been, was it Beulah in little like a little skimpy outfit getting pile driven that time what was the famous one there was a yeah, I think it, well Tommy Dreamer does one on Beulah McGillica I think, I think Beulah McGillica gets a, a 3D that was quite infamous but she was where you know she was skimpily dressed and whatnot my mum walked in and saw that and she was like right you're not having that anymore <laughs> 10 year old Ross so she took that away but that was One Night Stand was my first real exposure to uh, ECW and it was it, it, it's just a magical night isn't it? and again it's a this match especially, I know the rest of the night was the same, but this match especially is where the crowd played a, played a big part. And I don't know if it's just me and my watching of professional wrestling, but the reaction of a crowd massively influences my perception of a match. If a crowd are going making noises like the ECW crowd was and Hogan versus Rock, I'm making the same noises at home and just smiling because I don't know what it is about wrestling pop, but it just just make me smile There's and make me laugh. Warm yeah, that comes from when a when a crowd really reacts to something, and especially a standing ovation, which uh, awesome and tonight we got here you mentioned how a wrestling crowd makes a show a big part of the storytelling of that is is the commentators as well which you should know <laughs> should 2016 I? commentator of the year yep WCPW yep how did you come into to commentating how did, how did all that come about? What's the story? Well, I know we, you may have talked about it on the uh, WCPW. I wasn't on that one. Uh, oh, well, but, we uh, yeah, we, we got back from WrestleMania 32, and then it was in just the, the talk in the office was they're going to start a wrestling promotion. And then immediately, I don't know if they were just winding me up, they are like, oh, the one you and Jack and like were wrestling. And I was like, <laughs> well, I'm out the door here, then see you later, I'm going to get a real job. <laughs> this is the second time that you're going to go, oh, I quit. But then you're just, you're just hearing stuff happen all the time, they're buying a ring and venues and this, that, and the other, and then it got to the point where everyone was getting involved and I was like do I want to because I was initially very much against the idea of getting involved because I didn't I, I don't want to be in the wrestling industry I wanted I was just happy just you know doing silly stuff on YouTube I didn't want to take away stuff from people who wanted to do it because it just felt wrong because I know if I wanted to you know, if, you know I don't know if it applies to, to YouTube if someone just waltzed in this office and started doing WTF moments and I'm there want to actually do it I'd be pissed off um but it got to the point where everyone on the channel was involved, so I was like, wait, why the hell not? What, what's the worst that can happen? And the worst that could happen, Tom, was um, I was bad at commentary. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, was, it was, you know, me and Miller, I think we were set up to fail uh, because I'm not making excuses. It's just I was at the Euros for two weeks, and then on the Saturday, they were like halfway through the holiday, they were like, can you come in? I got home on the Friday, like on the Saturday, can you come into the office 9 a.m. and just do the commentary for the first four or five shows? And I was sat there thinking, I'm going to have no time to do read because I got mm. back late at night and it was first thing in the morning. So I've got no time to research people like, you know, at the time, uh, the Life Boatman. 
and people like that and people I hadn't heard of and hadn't seen wrestle I just we didn't have any time to research and then we were just sat down and told to commentate on these matches and he saw the result I'm not going to say anything about Miller Miller did the best he could I thought Miller was the, the far superior member of the pair um, but just we didn't have any time to prepare and didn't have any guidance and anything like that but uh, again I shouldn't have been there to begin with I do it's my biggest regret since doing this line of work is getting involved in that because I just I shouldn't have been there but I think it's one of those where it happened and I, it certainly hasn't slowed you down and nobody has sort of come at you for it it's one of those where it was a few people didn't like it when it was going on and from my perspective I'm stood there I should have thought this before accepting it but like I'm stood there taking the piss out of these commentators on Raw and Smackdown and then I can't do it myself and it's like oh well not that saying I could have done it anyway when I was like taking the piss out of that to begin with but you know what I mean yeah I'm with you I'm with you but, it, but it, the fact that you were you were so willing just to just to go for it and throw yourself into it and see where it leads I mean I did have a nice me and Miller had a nice time doing it but I just I, I'm not good from my perspective my half of the commentary didn't come out very well at all it didn't it didn't help the show it didn't help anybody on the show at all I went about it completely the wrong way because you know when you, you're in that gimmick and you're like oh the world's about me and I did it's not about me when it's commentating it's about the wrestlers and making them seem better than they actually are and making the match seem more important than it is and stuff like that and just completely missed the boat on that stuff and I just regret getting involved <laughs> how did um, how did it come to an end though like when, when I think you... I was I was going to get pushed anyway but it, we, we, we shot the first four or five up to the first pay-per-view in one go and then at the end of that I was just like I just saw the reaction and I had a feeling myself like afterwards like, I'm just not comfortable doing this and I just said to the guy uh, Mr. Dragon Eyes Mr. Dragon Eyes uh, I just said to him I just don't want to do this anymore and he was like fair we're just going to get uh, Alex and Dave in to do it anyway so I think it was just a it would have happened anyway but I was I was jumping before I was pushed you made the, you made the decision just to step away from <laughs> yeah. it and go that's fine that's fine but obviously Simon did that was sort of Simon Miller's first foray into doing wrestling stuff and he's now uh, training to be a wrestler and he's, he's actually a he is a wrestler, wrestler yeah. now yeah, he I wrestled in a cave not long ago he was, he was, he was in bloody Tokyo or something he's facing the Impact World Champion in a couple of days is he? yeah he's facing Sammy Callahan. oh yes ridiculous he's going to get killed all the best Simon <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but if you could if, if somebody came to you and, and asked you um, to get involved in doing something like that again what would you do different? Um. Would you do it? For, would you? Do I wouldn't. It? I wouldn't do it again. Absolutely not. Do you not feel like you've learned? Stuff I learned. In I did. The I, but sit back, like with the power of hindsight, you realise what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. But again, I just don't think I've got the the, the voice or the the improv skills or the the talent to do it well. That's. I just wouldn't. But again, it was just. I would make it all about. It's all about the wrestlers, isn't it? And it's all about feeding into the story. And I just completely missed the boat from that personally when I was doing it, and just I was caught up in my own hype. I think, and I just regret it deeply. But what I'd say is that, and and again, I'm coming at it from somebody who who only knew you initially through watching you through the screen, and you you brought a lot of fun to that role. We Despite did the a, fact that you, as you say, you you weren't happy about it, you you brought a lot of joy to that. We role. did have a nice time, me and Miller, yeah. in that studio that day doing the the cut scenes. Like the old prime we were I'll never forget we're told Ross you have to be like Bobby the Brain Heenan Simon you have to be like Gorilla Monsoon go That's, and do it go, wow. and, go and do it and then me and Miller were like and we're like just searching around the office for props and I don't know if people watched it but we used to like I used to use this beer hat that was in the office as like a, a deflection shield or something like that it was just absolute nonsense and it shouldn't have been on the air but it was and I, I, we had a nice time doing it but from my perspective I'd just rather I hadn't which, um, which commentators do you love? 
Jim Ross is the GOAT still, even though I'm not... I'm a bit funny with his AEW stuff because when it, the mo that Scorpio Sky ascension to the titles, he was fantastic. But again, then he moans about every single pinfall and how people aren't doing it right, and it's stuff like that really grates on you over time. Um, I like it. Bobby the Brain Heenan. My perfect commentary team would be uh, Brain and Ross. Ross at his pomp and brain because the the wit of the guy and the stuff that he said it never it never missed the mark like sometimes Corey Graves tries to drop stuff like that and sometimes it doesn't quite hit for me but sometimes it does but Corey is you know probably the best is he no he's not Nigel's better than what am I saying here anyway my favourite comedy duo though was Ross and Heyman from the Attitude Era like the stuff we actually got to see but yeah my ideal duo would be brain and Jim. In terms of mileage uh, that you got from him, I was hoping you would say John Bradshaw Layfield in there somewhere. He wasn't as bad as he used to make out, was he? <laughs> it just used to, you know, I think it, <laughs> it's fun. It's, it's brilliant. It's I like brilliant. to think, uh, when I'm doing those WT, I like to think I'm doing it with a wink and a nudge and people aren't like, unless it's Shane McMahon, because that legitimately did really annoy me for the longest <laughs> time. Um, I like to think people realise I'm doing it with a wink and a nudge. He didn't because he blocked me. And uh, a member of the WCPW roster told me that he, he would have seen it. And uh, I used to get passed around the locker room from time to time. People going, oh, look wow. at this fat man taking the piss out of you. How do you feel? feel about that really? so, so, yeah. so, so we, we know that he saw a lot of the John O'Clock stuff yeah. there, was a po- there was a point where I genuinely thought you were going to get an interaction with him and I was I was spurring you I on was, through I the screen I was avoiding that at all costs because he would have lamped me <laughs> well you were close you were very close at Smackdown that one time when I could swear you were taking pictures of yourself behind him I was getting so... closer and closer and I was like going come on this is it we're going to see we're going to see Ross and JBL in the same shot at the same time this is going to be the moment <laughs> I was so hesitant doing that as well, not just because it was in public and I had to dress up as the king and whatnot and all that malarkey, but fans taking away from the show and just making it about themselves is something I'm, I don't like anyway. So when I found, you've got to do it, Ross, it's too good of a chance to turn down. And you're like, your bosses are saying that to you, like, ah, oh, I'm going to have to do it, Arna. But I hated doing it as well. I just like, I wanted to just sit there and enjoy the wrestling. Because mm. when you go there live, you actually can. Then I had to go home and watch all the same stuff again and then pick it apart. And it's just like, oh, I wanted to enjoy it, but then I, had to, I was just on edge. <laughs> it's like, oh, I've got to get up and try and make myself seen by this man who might lamp me. <laughs> he would kill me as well. Just kill me in the face. I mean, he, he, he might have been in a good mood that day. We'll, we'll, <laughs> you know what? The world will never know. No. Um, Favourite wrestler that you've ever met? Yeah, obviously you, know, you get close to meeting JBL, but some of you've yeah. I know you met Jim Ross, didn't you? I met yeah, Jim. He was a lovely man. Okay. Uh, Cody Rhodes was fantastic. We did a uh, wrestler shots with him, Undertaker shots, and uh, I, I was I was I, I've never felt more manly in my life. Taking was, doing shots with Cody. There was a whole there was a whole a group of people, and the the wrestler shot. I don't know if it's Mister Perfect. I think was the guy who invented this or something. You get you get a shot of whiskey, knock it back, and then gargle for as long as you can. And I don't know what it does, but uh, it does something which makes you effed up even more than it would do normally. And um, so obviously Cody was doing this, but I don't think he realised that I really like whiskey. <laughs> and I lasted the longest. I beat him, and I was like, "Oh, I feel big." <laughs> and then we went, we went out and I had a few pints with Cody Rhodes, and that was—he was just a fantastic man. He used to he called me King once. He's like, "Hey, King, can you take a picture?" And I was like, "Yeah, I can, Cody Rhodes." <laughs> <you> can. <laughs> but yeah, people like Martin Kirby was always. 
uh, Primate especially. Primate got really involved with that stuff back in the day when he didn't have to, but I think he saw how it would have benefited him. And I had a lot of fun doing stuff with him. Some that didn't make the air, unfortunately, just didn't get released. And it was fantastic stuff. Um, yeah, people like that. I'm trying to think off the top of my head here. Um, Osprey was a nice man to talk to. Um, even though he didn't follow me back on Twitter, which I'm still gutted oh. about to this day because that pointless stuff matters to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've not really had a, a bad experience with a wrestler, to be honest with you, the ones I've met. Would you say the, the gargling whiskey with Cody Rhodes was sort of your ultimate wrestling WTF moment? Yes. For Ross. Because I'd be a wrestler at a wrestling thing. <laughs> I don't know if I should say this on camera. Yeah. But it's out there. Well, I really like whiskey. Whiskey's, whiskey's <laughs> nice. You like whiskey <laughs> yeah. and you like Cody Rhodes. Yeah. So it's a, it's a happy combination <laughs> of the two. You might not like me after saying that on camera. What's he going to do? Oh, Ross didn't put me over in a whiskey gargling <laughs> concert. I think Cody's got bigger fish to fry <laughs> cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The other thing you're allowed to take on the desert island is um, a movie that you like, an album that you love, and a luxury item that you couldn't do without. See, the movie one was tough because I was thinking, oh, this is wrestling-centric. I'd pick a wrestling movie. And I, Ready I, to Rumble. I absolutely love Ready to Rumble. Oh, really? I, 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 <laughs> I said it as a joke. Again, it was another one where it was a different pal at home. I had Skybox office, and they taped it for me, and I took it home. And I just... People crap on it all the time, but it had so many highlights. A diamond upside down is a pussy being the highlight, <laughs> which is... <laughs> I still say on video. T- MJF did it when he was walking out with DDP. That stuff like that. Oh, MJF, I tip me hat to you. Um, but yeah, Ready to Rumble was a fantastic film. But you know, goal one, isn't it? That's the one. Goal. Goal. Oh, wow. Okay. Goal one. <laughs> is, it, is it now called goal one? Uh, yeah, because there was a goal two and three and maybe four. Oh, there was loads, wasn't there? Like yeah, because he, he, left, he left Newcastle to join Real Madrid. And then I think there was one about Mexico in the World Cup and stuff. But just seeing my beloved Newcastle United on film and it was, was a fantastic... For those who don't know the, the plot of goal, please explain goal. So it's a, a guy who has a rough upbringing and uh, he, he, he kicks the soccer balls and he's trying to get to one cut. It's been a while since I've seen it, to be honest with you. <laughs> 
but he tries to go from one country to another. He scouted this talent scout for Newcastle United, his Scottish man, and then he ends up playing for Newcastle, works his way up from the reserves to the first team. Uh, there's a fantastic moment where they use actual real-life footage from the Premier League. Lauren Robert takes a free kick left-footed, but it cuts to Santiago Munez, who takes the same free kick but right-footed. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> it's just, it was a fantastic film. Shearer's on there. I love Alan Shearer. Uh, it's just a wholesome time had by all, unless you don't like Newcastle. I, uh, on the subject of that, of like using real-life footage for, for other purposes, do you remember Dream Team? Yes. And Harchester United? Yes. Harchester United? Yes. And how? My, and I used to watch it with my with my younger brother, who was a big, was a big football fan, and he could tell me at what point the grounds changed because <laughs> they would sometimes use multiple stadium in the same shot. Yeah. Like, he's passed the ball there, and now they're in Hybrid. He's yeah. passed it there, and now they're in Old Trafford. Yeah. <laughs> I just any and, and the, the the intricate detail to colour all the shirts in, mm. like that. Mwah, yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. But as you can probably tell by my answer there, I'm not much of a film guy. No. <laughs> one is a film. <laughs> <laughs> you're a, you're a football. Were you a football fan before a wrestling fan? Football is my main passion in life, which is it's sort of handy because I did I did dabble in like football journalism, but I realised I'm too much of a fan to do it well. I'm too like emotionally invested in stuff to really, and because wrestling is still a, a massive passion, obviously because I do this as a living, mm. it's a massive passion. But I, I'm, I'm able to sort of remove myself and look at things objectively, which is a weird thing to say because I do have my favourites and I do like to talk about them a lot in WTF moments and stuff like that. But it, from an analytical perspective, being sort of like, with it not being my main passion in life, and that feels weird to say because I've, I've sort of dedicated me last five years to it all. Um, it sort of helped us do this job. If you I think know what I'm yet, saying, keeping it at a distance, I think is. Is important, I think. You know, I, I used to watch a lot of wrestling at home. I don't so much anymore because now... You need to get away from it, don't you? You do need a little escape from it. Otherwise, you just do not switch off from it. No. Um, was So you, you said you dabbled in football journalism. Was Is, journalist, is, is journalism's... Where you where your background? Yeah, I've got a degree in journalism. Uh, mm. Believe it or not, no. <laughs> believe it or not, I, like I do tell people there are actual journalists here, <laughs> and and sometimes they don't believe me. I, I, I honestly, there I, is I don't see myself as a journalist in this line of work. Just no, no we're just clowns, aren't we? <laughs> we are just we're just clowns on YouTube. We make a fool of ourselves for the joy of others. I, th I think to the to the extent of when the camera's on you, you do. But I think what a lot of people probably don't realise is you do you write a lot for the website as well. Yeah. So like a lot of the news articles, which are just here is the news that's happening. Because sometimes we'll we'll do videos and people will go, can you just tell us the news? And I normally go go to the website it's all there like, yeah. you can just go and read it there most of it's there but my time's with this extra WTF of week now my time is limited <laughs> it's, it's it's suddenly you've taken on a lot more of it's, that yeah it's hard it's a hard thing to juggle um, but yeah if you do not like the news the way it's presented on video it is on that's, the site that's on me <laughs> But no, 100% what, are, what, are you, what are you meant to do? You meant to just literally sit there and go, Seth Rollins tweeted something bad today. I think sometimes some you got to put on a do. show. That's it. Some people, I think, some just won't read the news to me. I've seen a few channels because uh, I, I find that I look a lot more at what other wrestling YouTubers do, and there are some where they just, in like a, a minute, read the news bit. That's like, not, no. That's, I'd, I'd I mean, yeah, it's there. But people, people watch us for enjoyment. So if we're not having a good time on camera, people aren't having a good time off the camera that's watching it. us. And I think, like, when me and you do the news, it's an absolute farce, and I think it's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it I, I, just I, goes I, off on many tangents. <laughs> but that's, that's what's nice is, is that the... the 
whoever, whichever combos do the news. It's always, it's, it's a bit like, do you remember, do you remember the Simpsons arcade game? No. Right. There was a Simpsons arcade game in the past. <laughs> and you had to choose two different members of the Simpsons family to uh, play as in the game. Now, whichever combo you chose, there were different moves. Mm. So, like, if you were if you were Lisa and Marge, there was a combo where you jumped on the shoulders. If there was Homer and Bart, there was one where Homer would think would swing Bart around. So, what I'm saying is, the news at Carholic is a bit like the Simpsons arcade game. Is that whichever combo you get, a bit different each it's time. It's a bit different every single time. Yeah. And if you and I feel like if you check in for the news, you're just going to be annoyed because <laughs> <laughs> it takes ages for us to get to it. Sometimes. No, I, I, I fully like you know. I, I agree with the way the news is presented on our channel because I, I, doing it the other way is just boring. Yeah. It's just you want a bit more, don't you? You want a bit of entertainment and laugh. Have a laugh. Yeah. Have a bit of spice in you. You can't have a laugh like. when someone's just going, here is what happened in a monotone voice. It's true. <laughs> um, album. Uh, an album that you take on a desert island with you. It's, it's Abba Gold, isn't it? Oh, mate. Nice. Take, take out Dancing Queen <laughs> from that because I don't like Dancing Queen as a song. But uh, that is the greatest album ever made. And I know it's a bit of a compilation. Yeah, so it might, like, it might be. Like Alan Partridge, which is your favourite Beatles album. I like the best of the Beatles. I know it's a, it's a cop-out, but it's just, apart from Dancing Queen, it is a relentless string of hits. Wow. And you can't knock, you can't go wrong with Abba Gold apart from Dancing Queen. Were you brought up on Abba? No. No. My music taste stopped being current in about 2006, <laughs> and ever since then it's just been looking back decades, and uh, discovering ABBA was a highlight of my life. Did you sure. stumble? Oh, so you stumbled across ABBA then? Yeah, I don't know how, I don't know where, but I did, and I'm happy I did. Just a lot of times, a lot of our music taste is, is determined by our parents. Yeah. Initially, and then you kind of build on the foundation of that. So your folks, were, there were no, no one in your family was an ABBA fan. I'm guessing me mum might have been, but I never really listened to music. When I was in the car with her, Metro Radio was on. Nice. Sorry to say that. Is that the nah, enemy? It's, <laughs> hey, it's, it's, it's all it's all it's all peace. It's peace time now in my world. And Tony Tony Horn in the morning. That was the, the the school drive thing. Big fan of Tony. I get messages from Tony Horn. Very Dude, is he still on the air? Uh, he last I heard, he works for a station called Rossendale Radio, uh, where he he basically is a is a director of this independent station. He wanted to get back to his roots of just doing sort of radio that he loves in a place that he loves. And he's a big fan of of the Valley, and uh, he does a show there. That I've dipped in quite a few times, and and yeah, Tony, Tony Horn is very much a, a staple part of radio in the northeast yeah you know when i he was on for years when i was going to see i think he must have been on my entire school life getting the lift to, to the you to have had alan robson your entire life as well of night owls i radio. delivered pizza to him no way yeah i used to i had a gap yard where i couldn't work out what i wanted to do so i went and worked for a pizza place no way <laughs> so i was a delivery boy boulevard's pizza in morpeth it's delightful boom Be best pizza in morpeth yeah, i had delivered to him and uh Steve Bruce's house but Steve Bruce wasn't there it was oh, his wife no. oh, was but uh, my mum my mum works for the council so she knew that um, he bought Kevin Keegan's old house in Tramwell Woods in Morpeth and uh, you open the door and it had like Manchester United shirts in the porch door so I was like this must be Steve Bruce's house mm -hmm. when he was manager of Sunderland this was oh blimey yeah are they the, they're the, they're the most famous people you've ever delivered pizza yes to? Alan Robson and Steve Bruce <laughs> That's a job. That's impressive. Some people would wait their whole lives as a pizza delivery person to uh, to deliver to names like that. I used to love Alan Robson on the night. Did you deliver the pizza to Metro? Because I can imagine him going on there going, "Hello, can you send me uh, a pineapple pizza?" So this is in Morpeth, a With little a ghost in it. <laughs> And then some old biddy would just pop out the box. And, <laughs> e Alan, I've got this neighbour who I don't like. 
<laughs> but uh, no, he lived in Morpeth on the outskirts of Morpeth, which is a little town about 15 miles north of here where I grew up. Uh, so he lived on the outskirts and it was just in his house. Nice big house he had, though. Did he wear a hat when he came to the door? No, he had, he, he had his receder. In full view. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> he, is, he, is a, he is a radio legend. And, and I didn't quite re- excited about I didn't realise until after that he was the bloke who presented Alan Shearer on the stage that day. That's Alan Robson. I didn't, oh, I, what, for, in golf? No. Oh, when, no, say. when Shearer signed for Newcastle in oh. 96. He's the guy going, here's Alan Shearer. He I is. couldn't put a face to the name for many years, but I realised I did not expect Alan Robson oh, to look wow. like that. He's an instant, yeah. He's, he, he always, he's, he's a surprise when you uh, meet the flashing blade for the first time. <laughs> it ended recently. Didn't it? it did indeed a couple of weeks ago. So now it's a, it's just on a Sunday night now. Is it? It was honest. It was it was one of those things where uh, the radio industry has changed so much in the last sort of eighteen months. <laughs> Hence why I'm here. <laughs> um, and uh, it and it was all it was. So, it's, do you know what? Is Alan Robson's run on radio forty eight years? I think it was like like a legit forty eight years. And for the after the first two, people were going, "He'll finish any time now." After the first two, they were like, he's done soon. He's done soon. And like a career like that, we will never see the likes of. He is basically the undertaker of Metro, of radio, anywhere. <laughs> like a streak that was just unstoppable. And now it's over. It's like, we'll never see the likes of that he again. He could be his older, smaller brother when you look at them when they were young. Very much could be, actually. They look very much like him. <laughs> just a smaller package. <laughs> um, but Abba Gold is your album. It was closely, you know, I inched out Vinnie Jones's respect. Mm. Vinnie Jones has an album. Vinnie Jones covers. Really? Vinnie Jones is from like 2002, maybe. Vinnie Jones covers the hits. <laughs> bad, bad Leroy Brown, tunes of that ilk. And Vinnie Jones has got pipes on him. Really? Big pipes. He can sing. Uh, was he on the X Factor recently? That's, um, that's celebrity. That, I say celebrity because I watched the first one with Wallace <laughs> and I didn't recognise a single person on there. Yeah, it's, they, they use the word celebrity quite. I think it's because it's just so so many people that you would class as a celebrity now. Jenny off the chase, I knew her. I knew the rugby players and I knew um, your guy who did the Michael Jackson documentary from back <laughs> in the day. Uh, I can't remember his name now. Yeah, who whatever mean. his name was. But it, yeah, I think because there's, so ma- there's so many celebrities now in Bunny Rabbit Ears. Yeah. Like there'll be people who watch this who will class like yourself like that. It's like, <laughs> could you imagine? I know. It's, it's <laughs> weird. Weirder things have truly happened. They truly have. Um, but it's, but yeah. But it's it's a very strange time. But Vinnie Jones is a potential runner for the album. Oh my god! I didn't even know he did an album. Is well, it like a like a crooner? I imagine. It's yeah, like it's, a it's it's jazz. Is it jazz? It's it's like big band music. Oh wow! Yeah, it's just him in a big band. Like imagine wearing a trilby with some shades when he was singing. <laughs> Maybe a cigar as well. Fantastic album. And a luxury item is the other thing. A luxury that item. Ask of you. I would take a bed. Nice. Because, nice. you know, sand can be comfortable if it's, <laughs> if it's sculpted the right way, but I like a bed. Bed is the best place in the world, isn't it? Do you sleep well? I sleep well. Now I've got a routine. For a long old while, I did struggle. But now you've got a routine, you just got to wake up at the same time every day for like a week, and then you've got a routine sorted. So <laughs> 6.30 now, boom, I'm out of bed. <laughs> oh, wow. Six, so that, that start of your morning is just 6.30. 6.30, out of bed, have a multivitamin, have a Barocca. This is new me, this. I've lost a bit of weight recently. I'm, 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 I'm changing you, my life. You are looking good for it as Thank well. you. You are looking good. Is, there, is there a moment where you went, because I went through something similar last year, is there a moment where you went, that's enough now? This is getting this is going on far enough. Uh, this is going to sound awfully soppy, but getting the, right. the girlfriend changed it. Because oh. I've, I've been massively depressed for like six years, and oh, then man. she changed it. 
Yeah. And it's, wow. it's, a, it's a sad thing. I know it's a weird thing to say because I'm jovial on camera and whatnot, but yeah, it's been, not been a good no. time. No, no, no. Yeah. It's, 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 you know what? I think a lot of times, I think people just assume that you're always the way you are and like they can't imagine you being anything other than like upbeat and yeah. happy and joyful and it's like no I just used to eat myself out of sadness mm. <laughs> and then be more sad because I was really fat was there some, <laughs> it's, you know what it's, we, we, we laugh and we joke but it is a it is a vicious cycle yeah it is a vicious cycle when suddenly it's it's emotional eating which is when you know obviously when you when, no matter what your mood you, it, it lifts it it brings it down it brings you up whatever eating is the solution and when that is the solution that is a problem yeah you know when you well, yeah, I can back out the times where I've gone. I'm feeling really sad. I'm going to go to that burrito place in town. Being full will make me feel happier. Yeah, that, that satisfying full feeling. But it's, then you wake up the next day. Oh, I weigh two pounds more. And then you do it the, the, the next day, and you wake up two days time. Oh, I weigh four pounds more. It's the search, <laughs> it's the search for fulfilment. Yeah. And you're seeking a physical fulfilment as opposed to an emotional one. Yeah. So, but but meeting Wallace is what changed that. Yes, big time. Is she, was was she in, was she did she encourage you to do it or was it more the case of you wanted to do it for you at that point? Much you the second, I mean. she just made me happier, and I was like, well, I could probably sort myself out now, and I've I've tried to getting there slowly, mm. but uh, yeah, yeah. Is she looking after you and stuff? Oh, yes. Are you looking after each other? I would assume. Yes. That's Very much a back and forth thing. It, it, it absolutely <laughs> needs to be. Well, it's, it's, it's Didn't expect this to go in that direction. No, it's, it's, no, it's, you know, I think it's. I think it's important that sometimes that that we bring stuff like this to light because, you know, I, I get it on Twitter where people go, "You're always happy." I'm like, actually, I'm not always happy. You're happy I, when the camera's rolling because you, you sort of have to be because if you if you're sad on camera, as I said before, if you're sad on camera and not enjoying yourself, who's going to be happy watching that unless it's someone who just deeply hates you and f them anyways. <laughs> It's, it's a tough. It's tough in this job, and, and I'm learning it. Well, you guys have known it forever, but I'm learning it in the sense that, you know, if you're not in, the, if you're not mentally in the right headspace that day, and you look at the comments, it's probably going to make everything worse. So I think you're going to be rushing to the burrito place. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> I think you're different to me in that because people can say whatever they want to me. I'm, I'm very much of the opinion like if I, I don't really, and this might sound like a, a, a back kind of thing to say, but I don't value your opinion if you don't know me. And if I don't really know who you are, like I only value the opinion of people like I, I want to hear the opinion of. That makes sense. The YouTube yeah. comments never ever have bothered me. Like maybe one or two. Like I got called biased the other day towards AEW, and I thought, oh, there's the definite AEW bias on these WTF moments. And I was like, I was just sat there thinking, the main roster, like this week's Raw, apart from the screwy finishes, was really good in places. Like the matches, the wrestling was good. So I said it was good apart from the screwy finishes. Yeah. AEW Dynamite has been consistently good all the way through from the start, so I say it's good. And people call me biased because I say that the bad things are bad and the good things are good. I never really... That's the only sort of thing... Stuff like that's the only stuff that gets to me. The bias that they're reaching for is confirmation bias. Is mm. They're looking for you to think a certain way, and once you give the slightest inclination that you think a certain way, then they're going to bite down on it. Yeah. I've been called... Uh, there was one video in which I was both called... Um, anti-WWE and a WWE fanboy (laughs) how am I both but that's that's people reaching for like they've got they've got an assumed opinion on you and all they need is like a tiny little crumb of evidence 
to back that up. Mm. That's all they need, you know. You know, um, that's probably what's happened there. But yeah, I, you're you're you've got the right idea in the sense that you don't look at them. Like and I do I, appreciate every bit of feedback I yeah. get, and like I do sometimes let it affect the way I present things. If I see overwhelmingly people don't like something, I stop doing it because mm. that would be stupid not to listen to the audience. But when people are just insulting you, do it all you want. It's not going to bother me. I just I just I I find and and Alex has called me my good lady's called me the troll whisperer. <laughs> Because there's a few times where I've just had somebody say something horrible about me on Twitter and I've just said to them, why do you think that's okay to say? And they'll go, oh, because I disagreed with what you said here. I said, what, so therefore I should kill myself because you disagree with me. Mm. I didn't mean it like that. I'm a big fan. I'm really sorry. Like, it's almost, and you can watch the, the, the walls come down. And I spend far too much. The other night, I was, there was somebody who, who came at me for something and I was replying back to them. And I had a little moment where I went, I've spoke to this person more tonight than I have my mum <laughs> in the last couple of days. And that's where the balance is wrong. Yeah, just you need to stop replying to them. Just let them. Yeah. If, you, if I think, like, if I reply, if someone tweets, yeah, because all, all of us in here will get the same stuff. We just don't reply to it. Yeah. Um, we just bashed, like, see you later. Uh, you're just validating their thought of tweeting that in the first place, aren't you? Just If, they, if they're if they tweeting it just to a brick wall and you're not, not responding, they're not going to do it again, are they? It's weird. That's I my just, thing. Yeah, you, you're right. I always just come down the aisle of they're hurt and I want to find out why they're hurting. <laughs> you're too caring, Tom. Very odd. We've got one more match to put into the DVD. So we've had... Uh, Hogan, Rock. Rock, WrestleMania 18. We have had uh, your first foray into ECW, which was uh, Masato Tanaka versus Mike Awesome. Uh, what's your third match there? It's Tank Abbott versus Big Al from Super Brawl 2000. Cartoon! It's scissors! It's He's the match. cut his beard! It was fantastic on the, the recent Full Gear pay-per-view when Awesome Kong whapped out that knife. I was getting flashbacks to that match. <laughs> so I don't know if people have seen it. That was a, a, a leather jacket on a pole match. <laughs> The winner would get this leather jacket, which meant something for some reason. And at the end of the Skin, match, wasn't it like like in the uh, like that anarchy? Program, yeah, Sons of Anarchy. So Tank Abbott wins. He sends Big Al tumbling to the floor. He whaps out a knife, mm. and then the camera pans away and then cuts to a wide shot with the insinuation being that he's taking the knife to Big Al's neck slash face. <laughs> but anyway, that's not the actual third pick. Me third pick. Is it, I wanted to pick a modern one just to show that modern wrestling's good because I think a lot of people overlook that fact. Mm. So I'm going to go for uh, Tyler Bate versus Pete Dunne from TakeOver Chicago. Nice. Just because of the overwhelming feeling that I was just overcome with afterwards and that was just pride. Like, oh. because Britain... England, go on the England. We did some good things overseas and American people... Because when you watch... I just watched the match back there and while the reception for uh, Pete and Tyler wasn't mute... It, was, it wasn't as big as it was for other people on that card, and understandably so, because relatively back then, in terms of like WWE, they were brand new, just about. You know, we had the tournament the year before, um, but in terms of like being on programming, like WWE programming, they were relatively new. But by the end of the match, two stand innovations later, um, again, it was the crowd playing. A bit. I don't know if I put too much stock in the crowd, but the crowd really does make a break a wrestling match for me. If I just sat there in silence... I don't enjoy it as anywhere near as much as a crowd that makes noise, and that might just seem too simplistic to say. No, no, I think it's. I think, as we say, the crowd reaction is important, and I think that the, the I seem to remember the crowd being overwhelmingly pro bruiserweight at the start, the old bruiserweight chant that resonated around the arena. And again, it's that sense of pride because like these are our guys. Yeah, 
these dark side of the yeah, tracks. we're good as well. Yeah, it's, it's a handy <laughs> reminder, like you know. And uh, I, I, I take pride because they're not only the England guys; they're West Midlands boys. They're yeah. like they're from the rep in the Midlands. They probably planned that match out when they came out of the womb. Yes, because they, they came out of the same womb, <laughs> Trent Seven's womb. <laughs> Who was the, when was the first time? Do you remember many British wrestlers when you were started watching wrestling? Is there anybody that it's, you remember that you resonated with? I tell you, it's a funny one. I was watching our career retrospective on Regal recently, mm. which is a very good video. You should go and watch it. Um, and Regal was the one for me. It was the perfect example of when you're a kid, you just don't understand. Because I used to think Regal's coming out. Oh, he's a bit rubbish, him. Oh, I just don't like... He's just, he's just, ah. But you look back on everything Regal did, especially like the Commissioner era. That's when I was getting into wrestling. Unbelievable! It's what it's some. It's Regal is a man you appreciate more with age, and you can like fully understand what he was doing and why he was doing the things he was doing. Um, but he was the main. In terms of WWF at the time, it was just him, wasn't it? And then latterly, Dave Taylor came along with him. Um, I'm trying to think of more British. Paul, Paul Birchall, but it wasn't really alluded to that he was British. No, he was a pirate, pirate yeah. <laughs> um, Katie Lee was there. That was another one. Try to think of more British people. The Bulldog. <laughs> was, yeah, it was a very lacking. Did he count as British towards the end? He was Canadian, wasn't he? <laughs> I think he was, well, if you listen to some of the stuff from SmackDown, he sounds Welsh, apparently. <laughs> very odd. Um, as a British wrestling fan, uh, do you remember the first time you went to a British indie wrestling show? A British indie wrestling show? It probably This is going to sound awful, but it would have been WCPW. That's fair enough. Um, because... As I say, wrestling, I, I was out of wrestling from about 2006 until the Royal Rumble of 2012. Where What brought you back in? It was when I went to uni, and I didn't expect this to happen, but uh, people on my course and who I lived with, uh, they used to watch wrestling. So it was just, excuse me, just the pay-per-views. We would all get together with a crate and have a good time. And that was my way back into wrestling, even though, you know, the 2012 Rumble isn't really one that people look back on with much fondness. And it just sort of spiraled from there. And then I got back into podcasts, Jim Ross and Austin and Jericho. And then from there, I started watching a bit more. And then from there, what culture were hiring a football writer? And I was like, oh, I like wrestling as well. That could be my secondary thing. And it all spiraled from there. So my, I was very much removed from it until 2012. Dipping my toe back in until about 2014, and then when w- WCPW started, that's that was my first dive back into. Because I'd been to a few WWE house shows. I took a, a sign to one that aged terribly. I put it on Instagram and Twitter recently. It's uh, on one side. It was the 2004 WrestleMania Revenge Tour, and it was uh, where Taker came back. So on one side, it was an awfully drawn glove of Taker's with his back on one side, like the, the 1996 purple glove popping up out the, the, the Buried Alive set. On either side, it was a big picture of the Atkins diet book, big orange book, and it said, Big Show Needs Atkins. <laughs> Which aged ironically. Yeah, because no one does Atkins anymore. So I was stood there. Well, it was a big A1 sign. Double-sided, though. I was very proud of it. How cool is that, though, from the day where we would take signs to house shows? Yeah. Because that Especially was how communicated. Newcastle was mental. Mental, mm. the, the WWE ones. It's not so much the same these days, because, you know, I, think, I don't know what's changed, but something's changed where people aren't as outgoing in these public settings anymore, which is a weird thing for me to say after what we've talked about recently. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Definitely back when we were young, people were more like, wah! 
better than they are today. I don't know if that's a, just a thing I've picked up on in life. It's more, no, I've, no, you, no, I think a lot of places, like a lot of outdoor entertainment places, certainly fight to get people through the doors more than they used to. I think because nowadays, like, there's, there is so much entertainment indoors mm. that, you, that a lot of people don't. Mm. Like, you know, you've got access to pretty much every piece of music ever written. You've got access to every film ever made in some way, shape, or form. As wrestling fans, and I said this recently, we live in a really, you know, we live in a great age now where, you know, there is so much new wrestling that is fighting for our attention. And, and on a Wednesday night, literally fighting for our attention. And even if you don't like it, Access to pretty much everything that's ever happened in wrestling is a couple of clicks away. Yeah. You know, why would you want to go out? <laughs> like, yeah. But all that is there. So you went, so was it the Newcastle Revenge Tour you went yes. to? Yes. West Arena, it was called back then. Oh. It's not called that anymore. I think it's the... The Utilita Arena. Utilita Arena. Briefly, the Metro Radio Arena. Oh, was that for years? Yeah. Yeah, bye. But yeah, it was there. Big show uh, was against Cena in the main event. I touched both their hands. I was on the tiered bit up the side, and then the main event came in, and it was just, it was just a free for all. People were running everywhere, so I was like, "What have I been? Twelve? Yeah, twelve. I was. I'm getting down there. Touch both the hands on the way out. Fantastic scenes. Have you seen anybody that was on that show? Have you got to meet them since? His job or other jobs? I don't think so. I can only remember two matches. It was the main event, and then it was Nidia versus Jamie Noble in a blindfold match. Right. And the pay per view before this WrestleMania Revenge tour, or a couple of pay per views before. They had did the exact same match, step yeah. for step for step. So me and my pal, Adam, Mr. Joaquin Phoenix. Well, <laughs> <laughs> than being in the Joker, mate. We, we, amazing. We, we were sat there calling the match a move ahead. And we freaked out this. I remember this woman sat next to me there and she was freaked out. She didn't understand why. But they literally did the same match they did on pay-per-view a month or two before. So it was a fact. They were the two matches. And Rikishi danced. I never met Rikishi, though. <laughs> uh, I had a dream about Rikishi once, though. Oh, really? You know those dreams where you're struggling to do something? And you, it's something really simple, but you can't do it. Yeah. One of those like dreams. Sometimes when you're, like, when, you, when you're on the ground and you can't get up. Yeah, one yeah. of those. So I was, I was going to, we're on a beach and I was going to shoot a straight to hell with Rikishi, but I couldn't put my chair in the sand and have it just sit there. And I used to sit and fall off and then get back up and put the chair down. And Rikishi was like, oh, come on, man. I've got stuff to do for The Rock. <laughs> I didn't say that. I've got to go run over Stone Cold Steve Austin. And it got to the point where the chair were in the ground. And I sat down. I was like, right, welcome to Straight to Hell. And Rikishi said, I've got to go, man. It was one of those Aww. dreams. I was like, ah. Oh. Should I not say a bit more about why I like Tyler Bates versus Beat Dunn? I think you absolutely should. If you pacing. Okay. I watched it, watched it back this morning. The pacing of this match. Because you'd think we're two young whippersnappers like them. It would just be ba 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 bam, flip, 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 all that malarkey, non-stop go. But they did a few flips, and then Pete Dunn broke him down. And they did a few flips, and then Pete Dunn broke him down. And it was just, oh, I don't think it was, it, is it the perfect match? I don't think Meltzer get, I mean, I don't, I don't know why I even brought that up. I don't care about Meltzer's ratings. <laughs> I don't understand why that's news. It's just a man's opinion. Anyway, that should have got five stars, if not more. I thought it was, Jim Ross was calling it as well before Jim Ross fell out with the pinfall. <laughs> Technique of every wrestler going. Uh, the crowd, just everything came together for that match. It was wonderful, but the, the 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 pride of 
them coming in, you know, they got a good reaction, but by the end of the match, it was unbelievable. Just that journey through the match was unbelievable. Yeah, Pacing, as you say, is important because I think a lot of people give grief to NXT because what seems to have happened is that since the launch of the USA Network, we've kind of seen the birth of this sort of NXT style in which you skip Act 1 and you go straight to Act 2. Like, mm. bell sounds, drop kick out the corner, away we go. And you, you've, you, you don't do WTF for NXT. Because it's too hard because it's too difficult I used to do it back in the olden days and I would really really struggle to get a video that was longer than two minutes and I'm finding that now happening with AEW um just struggling to get a video that people might want to watch and just yeah because if you see WTF moments two minutes you think oh what's the, what's the point yeah but uh yeah it, it good wrestling's a good thing but not when you have to nitpick at it which is I don't know why I <laughs> I'm the only you person. You made a rod for your own back. I'm the, I'm the only person that must moan about that thing in the world ever. <laughs> <laughs> you made a rod for your own back doing that one. Yeah. Uh, did the right guy win uh, at Dun and Bait? I think so. Yeah. Because Tyler Bait, I don't know if it was just a bit of a disconnect for me, but it was literally just he would walk out and go. He would do mm. the Queen's Wave, and that was just about it. Unbelievable wrestler, but like in terms of a character, I think Pete Dunn has, or back then, had a lot more. Mm. Um, Beating the bruiser weight and all that malarkey just felt a lot more. It just and obviously had the, the longest reign in the history of belts, didn't he? After that, yeah, six hundred odd days or something like that. Phenomenal run, um, UK champion. But yeah, just I, it, I was a lot more invested in Pete Dunne back then than I was Tyler Bates, and I'd probably say I was. I, I was now as NXT must be as well because yeah. he's got the number. As we're sat here on Wednesday, the something of November twentieth of November, um, he's got that number one contenders match on Saturday now at the Takeover. So they've they've obviously got a lot more stock in him than they have Tyler right now, and I, I, th- I, I mirror that. Do you watch much of the UK um, products? No, the so NXT UK. Yeah. Uh, I watch the takeovers, yeah, but I don't watch the the weekly. Why? Why is is it is it a time thing or is it just a lack of inclination? It's a time. It's a it's a bit of both. Yeah. Um, the message WWE put out is that they just do not give a toss about this thing. Mm. The Raw recently being a prime example where they were used as jobbers, and I didn't like. And, and Jerry Lawler didn't know who Walter was, or sorry, Volta was, and was saying, "Oh, Vic, you know him? Is he? Uh, is that Flash Morgan or Flash Gordon?" Stuff like that, it just makes you, as a fan, it makes you think, oh, if the, if the people working for the company don't care, why the hell should I care? But more for me, it's that thing we we're talking about before where you need to get away from wrestling in your private time. Yeah. Because if you don't, it just beca- it just gets on top of you. So I watched the takeovers because the, there was that, t- the second, is it the second takeover? The one in the summer was, un- the main event was unbelievable with uh, Volta and uh, Tyler. That was an oh, unbelievable One of match. my favourite matches of the decade, actually. Yeah. And it's, and you always I would feel, agree with that. You always feel weird when you say, like, a match of the decade is one that happened this year. You mm. always feel like, people, you worry that people will think you're a fraud in some way, shape, or form. But it's, if it's a great match and it happened in the decade, it's, it's that one now. It was, it's it was just, such a beautiful thing, though, because it was, like, really basic in its concept. It was David versus Goliath, the underdog versus the big guy. Nigel was the one who made the match for me with his commentary because oh, it was just unbelievable. So uh, him getting excited really does make something seem bigger than it actually is. But yeah, but the, the takeovers I do definitely watch because there was a takeover before. How many takeovers have they had now? Three? Um, two. Blackpool, Cardiff, Blackpool 2. This will be the third coming up. Right. So there was one where they crowned the tag team champions. Nobody, nobody was, well, from my perspective, nobody was excited heading into that show. But I watched that show and it was unbelievable. <laughs> so it's just I just don't it's time and it's just no real WWE don't give me a reason to watch that 
I don't know if it's, it's a... no it's true no, I think the, the best person on WWE TV outside of NXT UK that's put over NXT UK is a guy who knows the product which is Nigel McGuinness and mm. when Kaylee Ray turned up on NXT the American NXT as the last member of the War Games team he made it feel like oh my god they're in a lot of and that's what now. Jerry Lawler should have been doing as well exactly because it's it, frustrating it, yeah. when the commentators don't Sell what we're seeing, mm. you know, on a, on, a, on a scale like that, like you, you basically you do yourself out of making money. I thought that was that was the point to bring them on to showcase these people and think, oh, I might want to see more of yeah. Flash Morgan Webster and What's Mark the, Andrews. Why but would no. I want to see a guy whose name Jerry Lawler can't remember? Yeah, you know, it's 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 that whole thing. But time is the main issue, and it, well, I'm yeah. sat here three or four, sometimes five days a week now, just watching wrestling and picking it apart. Mm. And, it, and while people at home will, I'm, I realise I'm very lucky to do what I do for a living, it does become tiresome yeah. after a while. So you do need, I, do, I, I personally do need that break just to get away from it all. Just when you come back to work the next day, you think, oh, let's watch some wrestling. Let's watch some wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things when it's a passion thing as well. So it's, it's getting that work-life balance. Yeah. Right. And it's something that I've really struggled with is, is, is finding those times to go, that's the end of my work day now. I'm just going to put that there. I'm going to go and uh, spend the evening with Alex. I'm going to go do something that's not wrestling. What do you do that's not wrestling to chill, to chill out? Go out and eat food. Yeah. Uh, walk. I've started walking a lot now. Yeah. You've got you, a Fitbit you're wearing. You today. inspired that. Oh, really? Yeah. Aww. I remember speaking to you and you're like, oh, I want to lose weight, but I can just, I can walk 10,000 steps a day. And I was like, oh, well, I could do that as well. So I've started walking 10,000 steps a day. I make sure I do that every day. Honored. Um, what do I do? Go out and, yeah. Yeah, just go out and drink on the weekends. Like week is now disciplined. That's when you have your barocas and your vitamins. Yeah. Weekend you let loose and then you come back. <laughs> Help a leather. Yeah. It'll be a gradual thing, but I'm gonna get thin. I am. I'm gonna get thin. <laughs> but that's uh, yeah, spend time with the woman when she's up here. Yeah. Just boring just, stuff. No, just be happy. That's yeah. all it's about, isn't it? That's all yeah. it's about, it's just being happy. And you've got to take it for granted now after such a long time of being unhappy. <laughs> There you go. That's a beautiful way to end it up, actually. Thank you I very much. For a left-handed handshake. Oh, I was doing that as like a oh. presenting, but then I'll do I didn't the want to leave right. you hanging. There you do go. Double, double we'll do whammy. both. Do, oh, look at this. Look what's at this. That, that, what's, that, oh, what's that thing? It's the best day of my life. Yeah. That's what this is. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> Ross Treadle from Off of Cultaholic joined me on Desert Island Graphs. Thank you for listening. We'll be back very soon. Goodbye. Love you. Love you Sorry. It's all right. <laughs> It's <laughs> my catchphrase. Love you, bye. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Cultaholic.